Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by guest preacher, Reverend Judith Watt. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our uh, scripture readings today are from Job chapter 23, verses 1 through 9, which you will find in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles, beginning on page 474, and also from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11, which you will also find in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles, beginning on page 505. Before I read scripture, please pray with me. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, God. Hearing, we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Job 23, starting at verse 1. Job's friend had advised, has advised him, agree with God and be at peace. In this way, good will come to you. Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There, an upright person could reason with him, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot hold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. And now from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer, our friend, and our Savior. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to say uh, that 
Carol said there were many Judy stories, and I hope you don't hear all of them, because some of them I wouldn't want you to hear. And then I want to also tell you how honored I am that you've asked me to preach this morning, that I'm standing here in this pulpit. I haven't stood here since 2003, in June or July of that year, and that was after serving nine and a half years as associate pastor here for pastoral care. And that was my first call, and it was an unusual call because my husband and I had already been members of this church for 17 years before I was ordained in 1994. So I owe so much to this congregation, for the staff that was here at the time, David Hanley and others, for putting your trust in me, for nurturing my call to ministry while I was here in this congregation, and um, for also just making the adjustment with me as I changed roles from member to clergy person. There was a search committee at that time, and I owe so much to them, and I'm going to name them. A couple of them are no longer with us. Tom Bryant and Alice Rubash were co-chairs of that committee, and then others that served that time were Abel Smith, and Martha Arnson, Deb Ford, and John Edwardson, and so I owe a lot to them too. Aside from that, it was in this very place, in this sanctuary, a few rows back, I'd say in that section back by the pillar, where on one Sunday morning, I sat as a young mother, having been struggling with all sorts of questions about God and what I believed, and we were in the habit in that morning worship of saying the Apostles' Creed each and every Sunday. And I would say only those parts that I believed. I stayed silent during the other parts. It sounded as though I was stuttering. I did that week after week after week until one Sunday it felt as though something was just falling over me from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. It was like a sigh of relief. No one around me knew that was happening, but it was real to me. And it was after that that I could say the Apostles' Creed knowing that there was depth there, depth and truth beyond any of the single words on the page. So you all are a special people to me, and this place is a special place to me. I have had the privilege of hearing so many stories over the course of my ministry in three different churches from ordinary church members, ordinary people whose stories and whose wrestling with God have inspired me. And Emma was one of those people. Emma was a member of this church. In fact, when I met Emma, she was chairing the ministry that was then called One-to-One -one Visitors, that was a precursor to Friends in Christ. Emma died in 2012 at the age of 103, but when I first knew her, she was 85. Emma had given birth to four children, the first a daughter and three boys after that. By the time I heard about the details of Emma's family, she was a fairly recent widow. Her children were in their 60s with grown children of their own. 
That is, her sons were in their 60s with grown children of their own. Emma's firstborn, the only girl, Bobby, had been hit by a car right in front of her home when Bobby was only 10 years old. And the accident killed her. So in Emma's life, for 50-plus years, there had been this gaping hole, a grief that never went away completely, and an ongoing wrestling with God. When she told me the story, we had been sitting in her breakfast room looking out over her back garden. And as I got up to leave and walked to my car, I was halfway down the front sidewalk, and I heard Emma calling from behind me. There she stood at her door with it cracked open a bit. She called to me from her doorway, and she said this, And, Judy, when I get to heaven, the first question I'm going to ask is, the first question I'm going to ask God is, why Bobby was taken from us? Martin Marty, after the death of his first wife, wrote a book called A Cry of Absence, Reflections for the Winter of the Heart. For Marty, the winter of the heart is the period of a wintry spirituality that deals with suffering and evil and periods in our lives that wrestle with loss and pain, stages of our own spirituality that confront questions that are simply unanswerable. And God seems silent, or worse, sometimes unreasonable, or sometimes even hurtful. Job cries out in the scripture this morning from his own wintry spirituality. Today also, he says, my complaint is bitter. Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come even into God's dwelling. I would lay my case before him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. Job had lost everything. All of his children, seven sons and three daughters, they were crushed to death when the house that they lived in had toppled over on top of them, killing all of them. And that was just the beginning of Job's losses. Job keeps pressing, even though he feels God is absent. He wants to stand before God and to make his case, to say right to God, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, I didn't deserve any of this. He wants to find out exactly why any of this had happened to him. And so, just like Emma, he wants to ask. Basically, the same question Emma asked, why, God? Why was Bobby taken from us? No answers come as Job wrestles. His three friends try to make it make sense to him. One after another, they offer justification and rationale and proclamations, their own proclamations about who God is. And none of it satisfies Job because he wants to ask God directly, face to face. Job believes he has a viable case to present, And he believes that God would hear him if only he were given a chance to stand before God. I have had so many people 
come to me to talk about their doubts, their doubts of faith. They doubt God, or they doubt Jesus, or they doubt the church, or doubt the pastor, and they worry. They worry because they doubt. Their doubts make them feel like they have done something wrong. And even though good souls surround them, like Job's friends who try to explain everything to them, nothing helps. They continue to doubt. In their minds, God might be roaming around somewhere on this earth, but certainly not in their lives. And they always think that they've done something wrong because otherwise they wouldn't have doubts, would they? That's what they think. And I always want to tell these people, stop. Stop blaming yourself. Those doubts of yours and that yearning, the silence we experience in our own periods of wintry spirituality, all of that is God's presence in our lives. It is presence like the negative field in photography. It's there, doesn't show up much, it surrounds the subject, but it highlights the subject. It highlights the main subject. Our questions and our doubts, they're God's tap, tap, tapping on our shoulders. Why does a spouse die unexpectedly? Why does a young husband and father succumb to a devastating disease? Why are people killed in plane crashes? Why do our bodies lose so much as we age? Why are the nations in an uproar, and why does it seem as though chaos is increasing in the world? Why, God? What are you doing, God? What do you possibly want us to learn? former pastor of Riverside Church in New York, Amy Butler, said, strong believers we are until we punch in the numbers we thought would give us access to God and we get nothing. We wonder if God is there at all, if God cares about us and our lives and our world, and doubt builds. And to these folks, Reverend Butler said, good. Good, because this is a chance to voice out loud all of your wrestling to the God who seems silent and absent, to become your own theologian, to ask the questions and find some of those questions simply unanswerable, and finally, to come to terms with your own relationship, your own role in relationship to God, to surrender to surrender and to find, finally accept that you don't know all and that you won't know all. That we are not in complete control of this life. Surrender. There's a comfort that comes when you accept that you might not understand everything. That you might not 100% understand every word or phrase of the Apostles' Creed, and yet something comes over you and you surrender 
and then find that there's truth there that you can't explain. And if Jesus is our guide, well then, thank God. Because Jesus' cry from the cross, the words from today's psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Why have you forsaken me? Tells us that the very creator of the universe understands our wrestling. Martin Buber calls this terrible contradiction, this tension between our knowing a God who is all love and justice-seeking versus the existence of evil in the world, the questions about why evil exists, that tension, that wondering, that contradiction, Buber calls it the rent in the heart of the world, the rent, deep sorrow, the jagged tear in our hearts, the tear we wish didn't exist. Job's continual searching, Emma's question, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Those are profound statements of faith. They're profound statements of faith because they indicate a strong belief that there is a God out there somewhere who will hear. Amid all of Emma's doubts, she never stopped believing that God existed. During another visit to her home, she told me about the day her husband died, which had been just a few years before I came into her life. She'd brought him home from the hospital, gotten him situated in a chair in the living room, and then went into the kitchen to make some lunch. And then she heard him calling to her. So she got out to the living room, and when she got there, he told her in his weakened voice, Emma, Emma, he said, there was a beautiful young girl here calling to me. Of course, there was no one there. Emma saw no one. Later that day, after lunch, after Emma had gotten her husband settled into his bed, he took his last breath. And when she was telling me this story, Emma said to me, I think it was Bobby calling to him, waiting for him. And that's always given me comfort, she said, to think that Bobby was waiting and calling and that he's now with her, that they're together. There's something else that Emma told me about her life that when she was a little girl in upstate New York, sitting in the church one morning, sitting in a balcony, not much older than eight, she heard the pastor say to the congregation at the end of one of his sermons, and Jesus died for your sins. Emma heard something else, though. She heard the pastor's words differently. She heard words that he didn't really say. She heard him say, Emma, Emma, Jesus died for you, Emma. The Lord finally answered Job out of the whirlwind after 38 chapters of wrestling. And the Lord asks Job, where were you 
when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you send forth lightnings? Do you give the horse its might? Job was on the other end of all of God's questions and finally realized that he didn't know everything and never would. And he surrendered. He surrendered finally and answered God and he said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me things which I did not know. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I don't know why Emma's daughter was killed, and I don't know how Emma's husband saw a beautiful girl calling to him. And I don't know how that feeling came over me that one day in church so long ago. I don't know how Emma heard the words the pastor said differently than what he really said. Emma, Jesus died for you. I honestly don't know how to explain any of that. And so I surrender over and over and over again because answers don't always come. But what I do know is that God is my creator. And Jesus is my Savior, and the Spirit will never leave me. And I know the same is true for you, too, for each and every one of you, that God created you, each of you, that Jesus saves you, whether you know it or not, and that the Spirit will be with you and with me from now on until the very end of the age. Alleluia. Amen.